This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Welcome to the interview. Uh, today's guest is former Raptors assistant coach Dave Hopla. Dave Hopla is a shooting genius. He is called the greatest shooter on the planet. Uh, the man hits about 98.7%. I think that's his body temperature. 98.7% uh, of his jumpers. He's worked with uh, tons of NBA players ranging from Kobe Bryant to Andrea Bargnani and all that's in between. Uh, he was kind enough to give us some of his time and uh, and speak to us about a range of topics, including his time with the Raptors. Uh, I'll be quiet and let Dave talk. Enjoy. So, Dave, thank you for, for, for talking to Raptors Republic. Uh, I know that uh, a lot of Raptor fans are familiar with your work. Uh, I know that you've worked with the Raptors in the past and uh, ha have helped out a, a lot of our players. So I just want to start off with a question that one of our writers had. If you're a regular player, like you're like an amateur athlete who practices, let's say, you know, an hour and a half a day, they're shooting, let's say, I don't know, 60% from the foul line or something like that. And then mm -hmm. they go into a one hour session with Dave Hopla. How much right. can you impact their game in that one hour? Just like everyone, whether it's an amateur or professional, I, I look at, you know, the person's uh, footwork, you know, their base, their foundation, how are their feet set up at the free throw line? You know, do they, do they have a routine? Is the routine the same? And then the grip on the basketball and then finally, you know, the, the follow through and everything. But the most important thing is like, you know, you have to have your elbow tucked in. But I just look at it, like I said, building a house from the ground all the way up to the follow through, which would be the roof of the house. Like I always uh, tell everyone, you know, I, I try to keep it simple, simplified, you know, like I said, working with players, you know, most of them aren't rocket scientists. So I keep it very, very simple where anyone can understand like my key points are, you know, my feet or shoulder with the part. If I'm right handed, I have a slightly staggered stance, you know, my right foot's my lead foot. And I, I plant my toe right next to the tack, the little nail that's in the middle of the free throw line, which is the center of the hoop. So I want my toe 
attack target three T's and then my toe, knee, hip, elbow, wrist, shoulder and basketball should be in that shot line. So if I shoot the ball straight, I should never miss, you know, left or right. I should only be long or short if I keep everything in alignment. Yeah. And one of your one of the things you talk about on 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 your YouTube videos sometimes is that how your left leg is actually not facing the basket. It's actually angled a little to your left That's because right. you're a right handed shooter. Slightly staggered. Exactly right. Because I want that right shoulder to be forward. Whereas if I bring them parallel now, my actually my right shoulder will be back further when I have the basketball. So I want a slightly open, slightly staggered stance. And one of the things that I do, like, I don't want to get back too far. I don't want it back behind the heel of my right foot because then I'm going to be off balance. And one of the things that I teach kids, I, I tell them, put your feet together. Now, if I'm right-handed, I'm going to slide my left foot back till my toes fit completely right into my arch and then bring that over shoulder with the part. That should be a nice, nice foundation for me. And and you worked with the Raptors. My first stint with the Raptors was uh, – Back when uh, we actually won the Atlantic Division, Sam was uh, coach of the year. And then I was brought up, uh, you know, um, as a consultant when uh, Jay Triano was coaching. But I had, I was, my first stint was back with uh, Andre Bargnani's rookie year and everything. We, had, we actually had a, we had a, you know, we had a good year. We lost to the Nets in the first round of the playoffs. What were your goals when you joined the Raptors at that time with Bargnani and, and, and then again in 2009 with DeRozan? Like what, what players did you work with mostly there? And like how, what, what did you observe and what did you, what did you try to coach the, the players on? Well, the guys, when I, when I got, first got hired, I got hired right around Thanksgiving. Uh, I think I wasn't in training camp or anything when I got hired. Uh, Brian Colangelo and uh, brought me in and uh, Sam Mitchell. And uh, when I first got there, I said to the guys from that point on, I, I think they were three and eight at that time, but they weren't shooting the ball very well from the free throw line, mid range or from three. And um, when I got in there, I, I said, everybody, all I want everyone to do. I said, can you get 1% better? And they like, you know, laughed and said, hey, yeah, I could do that. I said, okay, if we do that collectively, you know, we're going to have a group. We'll, 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 you know, we'll be pretty good shooting the ball. I'm not asking to go, you know, jump 20%, you know, unrealistic because the season had already started. I said, I want everybody to get 1% better from this point on. And, you know, the guys brought in and they did a great job. I mean, we had a great, we, you know, we were like Team Euro. We had all the Europeans and stuff, and uh, they they were great. You know, Anthony Parker, Jose Calderon, um, Garbajosa, Rosho Nesterovich. I mean, we, we had a we had a great group of guys, Andrea, you know, and they, they bought in and they listened, and, um, and we got better. We got yeah. better each month as the season went on. And like I said, we were just, uh, you know, inexperienced, you know, in the, in the playoffs, you know, we – we met a gritty New Jersey team, you know, at the time they had Jason Kidd and, and um, you know, they're, um, you know, veteran, um, you know, guys that have been battle tested before. But we had, we had a we had a very good year from that point on when I got up there and I loved every minute, you know, being up there. You worked with DeMar DeRozan. You know, he was with the Raptors for, you know, for, yeah. for a very mm-hmm. long time. And one of the one of the one of the things that he always tried to work on every summer was his jumper, because that was a limiting factor right. in his game. Like he couldn't shoot the three. 
did you get, mm-hmm. a, get did you get to work with DeRozan at the time and and talk to me about like what you've seen from him as the years have gone by has his jumper improved has his technique changed what's like what's next for the guy at, at this point because for, from a Raptor fans perspective we love the guy like we absolutely loved him but he was never really able to develop that that reliable outside jumper beyond uh, beyond the three-point arc Right. Um, you know, and he is a super uh, person. I mean, I actually spent some time with him on a Nike trip we went to China and stuff, but I've known DeMar since he was, you know, a high school kid in California doing camps out there. And, uh, you know, I think uh, the main thing that he lacks is confidence shooting it. I mean, he's a great, you know, mid-range jump shooter. And, I mean, the game has changed so much. As a matter of fact, I hate the three-point line. I think it's the worst thing that's ever happened to the game of basketball, to be honest with you. And I'm a shooter, but I just think, you know, it's it's not a – it's not fun to watch guys just jacking threes up. I mean, I was watching Orlando the other day in a scrimmage. They were two for 22 in the first half from three. And I'm like, this is horrible. And then to go back, Houston missed 27 in a row. I mean, it's, there's no low post anymore. You know, no Hakeem Olajuwans, you know, no Kevin McHales. And it's just, you know, you got seven footers shooting at threes and stuff. But I think, you know, DeMar, you know, he, he knows what his strengths are, and I don't think, you know, he has, has developed the confidence to shoot the three ball. You know, he's, he reluctantly, uh, you know, doesn't shoot it. I mean, it's just like Ben Simmons. I mean, they finally took two the other day. But, uh, you know, a lot of guys, it, it's you know, you play to your strengths. And, I mean, look at Kawhi. I mean, Kawhi, when, when you guys want to shoot, when he needed a bucket, he didn't shoot a three. He went to his, you know, bread and butter, you know, uh, two dribble pull-up mid-range jump shot. Stuff. But I think, you know, these analytic guys get all, oh, you got to shoot the threes, you know, 33% equal to 50% and, and all this other stuff. But I think, you know, too many people fall in love with the three. Could this be like a natural cycle for basketball where, you know, like it's like a free market economy, you know what I mean? Sometimes where if the three gave you a competitive advantage for, for a little while. Right. Mm-hmm. And maybe eventually the game progresses back to low post because people aren't doing that enough and it becomes like a sought out skill. I think so. I think, you know, once uh, teams, you know, like, I mean, just think defensively. What are you taught defensively? Run back and protect the paint. Well, nobody goes to the paint anymore. <laughs> you know, they run to the corners. They run to the three point line. So I think, you know, that's why a lot of this positionless basketball, you know, guys are you're cross-matched all the time. Like, you're just going to be picking up who's ever closest to you and, and go from there and everything. And I think, the, you know, defenses will get better. And, um, you know, but the, the way the game is played now, I mean, you can't touch a guy or anything. So, you know, now it's drive and kick and, you know, guys rotate. I, I, if I was if I was playing, I wouldn't, I wouldn't help off anybody. Okay, guy's got to drive. Okay, he's going to shoot a contested two with a guy defending him. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. When they drive and kick, what happens? A guy helps out, they kick it, swing it, and then you're in rotation. So if all these analytical guys like, okay, they want you to shoot contested twos, that's what you do. Don't help. Just stay with your guy and let them, the guy drive and shoot a contested two with a guy hanging all over him. Moving to the current core of the Raptors, I don't, I don't know how much you how much you see them, but uh, we have a guy like Pascal Siakam, who, who who we certainly think is on his way to superstardom uh, yep. if he continues his, his trajectory. And mm-hmm. and you look at his jumper overall and how it has evolved. Like his shot is considered very unorthodox. I, I don't think. Like, well, let me let me ask mm-hmm. you that. Like, when you look at his jumper, are you like 
ugh. Like, what's your reaction when you see something like that? And, uh, and, uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's a repeatable shot. I mean, you wouldn't. Reggie Miller was a great shooter, right? We wouldn't tell people to shoot like Reggie Miller. Uh-huh. You know, and I, I tell people, you have to have a repeatable shot. You know, every time you shoot, it has to be the same. There's no, nobody has the perfect jump shot. Mm-hmm. So, but it has to be repeatable all the time. When you know, from the first quarter to the fourth quarter, when you're tired, it still has to be the same. Pascal is he, he, you know, he's developed his game. You know, not just the shooting, but just all around skill level. I mean, he's done a phenomenal job. He'll continue to improve. It. I mean, I'm I'm very impressed. Like you know, with with him, and also you know, like with the Greek freak. I mean, these guys want to get better, and that's half the battle. I mean, they. Uh, you know, they put the time in and, you know, there's there's no ceiling on how, how good these guys can become, especially, you know, uh, with their size and their skill set. In one of your uh, YouTube videos, you mentioned uh, a man by the name of Dana Cunningham. And uh, yeah. you, you mentioned that he was your Michael Jordan. Can you tell us yeah. a little bit more about who that individual is? Be more than happy. Well, Dana Cunningham was a Division three player. He went to Frostburg State in Western Maryland. And as a kid growing up in Baltimore, uh, he was working a summer job at General Motors. Uh, and he used to come over to the courts where we played at. And, you know, I just thought, wow, this guy's an ombud. I don't know, Division one, Division two, II, Division three. It wasn't like it is now. Every, you know, everyone kid thinks he's a Division one player, elite and all that stuff. But so he took an interest in me and he actually gave me a, a mimeograph sheet called Pistol Pete Homework. You know, it's ball handling drills, passing drills and all that. And, and he showed me how to do the drills and he took, you know, an interest in me and uh, he'd come up to the courts every summer and I used to, you know, pass the ball for him and everything. And um, he just uh, told me to, you know, keep working hard and getting better. And I couldn't wait to show him like, you know, the next day that I had, you know, gotten better on a certain drill and everything. And then uh, we got together through LinkedIn. I saw him a couple of years ago. I was with the Pistons. Uh, I reached out to him and actually I've um, run into him a few times because he's living in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And uh, I saw him a couple of times last year because I was doing a lot of work over there um, last year at University High School who had Vernon Carey and Scotty Barnes. They had a bunch of, you know, future pros on the team and then uh also uh juan howard's kids went to school there and everything so i was doing a lot of work there and we reconnected you went to an naia school yeah no academic information available that's right that's scotty pippen that's right scotty pippen was, uh, <laughs> yeah, <that's> <laughs> and uh dennis rodman there's been a few of them you know when did you realize that shooting is your thing and that you can pursue a coaching career in this because uh, in, in, in a specialist capacity as a shooting coach. I know, I know you're a basketball coach overall, but your specialization has always yeah. been shooting. At what age yeah. or period of time did that kick in that, oh man, I can make a career out of this? You know, I, I was uh, home from summer. I was playing overseas and I was home one summer and my old high school coach ran into him. He says, Hey Dave, you want to come speak at my basketball camp? And I'm like, you know, what am, what am I going to speak on? He goes, do your workout. And I used to have a whole workout ball handling. I used to pass against the wall and shoot. And it was just a workout, not an individual workout that I did, you know, with nobody else around. I said, sure, I'll, I'll do that. And so I went in and I did the, did the camp. And then there was another uh, coach there who coached at Annapolis high school in Annapolis, Maryland. He said, Hey, I got a camp next week. You want to come in? You want to, 
you know, do your workout for the kids. And I was like, this is pretty cool. I'm getting paid to do my workout, you know? And I, I didn't think anything of it because I was going back overseas. And then uh, when I came back from overseas, uh, and then uh, when I started coaching at Dundalk Community College, I had some local kids that wanted to work out, and uh, I was working with them. You know, was just on on just about everything. And then I just said to myself, you know, there was taken away from the team. I said, you know, I can make this a uh, a go and then uh, you know in the summer times I started doing my you know shooting that just you know started doing shooting demonstrations not not the ball handling and all the other stuff but I used to go you know years ago I used to have a bunch of props with me I used to have a hat with a hand in the face you know so I'd shoot with a hand in the face I used to have a pole and it was called minute pole and I used to play one-on-one with the pole and all that stuff you know and uh one-on-one with the pole can can you explain that a little like what I would give I would have a pole and it said minute pole not minute bowl but minute pole and I'd give it to a kid and I'd play one-on-one with the kid would have the pole so it'd be like playing against like a seven Ah, okay nice so and uh yeah, and then nowadays I probably could never get away with it because the pole was painted black and it said minute pole instead of ball. And now, you know, in this day and age, everyone's so sensitive, I probably would have offended somebody, you know. But the rules of the game were if they blocked the shot, they got two points. If I got fouled and I didn't score, they still got a point because I said I'm on the road, I don't get any calls. And then I would only get a point, you know, if I scored. So it was a lot of fun back then. That's back when I could move a bit, you know, now I'm older. So I just, you know, shoot the ball still every time. When you work with NBA teams and you walk into the arena, has everybody heard of you? Or do you do you feel like you have to go into an arena and maybe there are players who haven't heard of you before? And you have to kind of demonstrate, look, man, I'm about to coach you on shooting here, I'm going to hit like 98 out of 100 shots just to make sure like you're paying attention. Do you feel like you have to kind of do that sometimes to get player attention or are they like in tune with you right from the start? No, I've been uh, I've been doing this for so long. Most of the kids have seen me at camp. Like even when I first came up to Toronto, I mean, guys were like, oh, I saw you, you know, I saw you when I was there because I've done so many camps over the years. You know, guys have seen me, uh, you know, uh, a lot of guys have seen me at, at the basketball camps and so forth and everything, but that's how, uh, you know, I, I get their attention though, because I make shots. I mean, I remember the first time, uh, you know, I got, I was doing a camp in Florida and I always tell people, you never know who's watching you. And I was, you know, shooting the ball. And, uh, when I was finished doing my lecture, George Carl was coaching the supersonics. He was there and he goes, you know, you're the greatest shooter in the universe. I'm going to bring you out, you know, to, uh, to Seattle. And he goes, how am I going to get those guys to, you know, listen to you? And I just went out as a consultant, you know, for training camp and stuff. I said, well, what caught your attention? He goes, well, you, you shot and made every shot. I said, well, just put me down the other end. So he had all the guys gathered in and I was down the other end of the court shooting. And after five minutes, Gary Payton's like, yo, man, that dude ain't missed a shot yet. So he knew that's what I had their attention. So, okay. But, nice. uh, you know, so, so many people, you know, need to, to see it and so forth, you know, and like, especially in this day and age, everyone's a visual learner. But 
Like, you know, it was like, it's not on the internet. It never happened. You know, everyone's so enthralled with that stuff. And, and me, I'm like, you know, I couldn't care less about a computer and, and all that stuff. But, you know, I still chart my shots. Now they got these apps that actually will videotape you a thing called home court. Steve Nash is actually involved in it. And I'm saying these kids, how can you not be a good shooter? They want you to shoot the ball and make it go in too, I guess, you know, but the app, this thing, like, you go out and you um, set it up like at midcourt and you shoot a free throw and then it captivates your whole workout. It ch- tells you what you shot and tells you what your arc is and everything. I'm like, how can there be a bad shooter in this day and age with everything that you have at your fingertips? Yeah. But you got to go out and shoot. You can't like just have the app and say, hey, yeah, I got the app. Got to use it. You told a story about uh, you taking Brandon Haywood, who was a 51% foul shooter, and you know converting yeah. him to a 74% foul shooter. And then he, I think he gave you a present after he won the championship in Dallas, a gold ball, I believe. Well, two questions. One, where is that gold ball? And second, does it annoy you? Because it does annoy me when I see big men who are shooting like a ridiculous 40, 50%, like Andre Dr- Drummond-style shooting. Mm-hmm. And in, when, yeah. I, when, I'm, when we're watching, like fans are thinking, this is just a question of putting the effort and coaching in, and that's just not happening. How, how do you explain the fact that we have such poor free-throw shooting in a, in a professional league? Well, you know, it's, it's funny to say that uh, the first part, the basketball is up at my home up in Booth Bay Harbor, Maine. It's a gold ball, you know, with all the signatures of the Dallas Mavericks championship team. And uh, to go back to Brendan, you know, he was willing to, you know, to listen to me and do what was I said. I said, you know, you can't go on, you know, with this. And he accepted my coaching and and he trusted in me. And that's, that's a big thing, you know, player and coach, yeah, to trust one another. And then other people like, I mean, they don't put the time in. I mean, it's, uh, I was, I was with Detroit actually, you know, and I was there with, with Andre Drummond and it was funny. I mean, I was working with them for a little bit in the first year and then, uh, then they pulled me off of them. And it's like, I said, it doesn't happen overnight, you know, and everything. So it was like, it was like crazy. And, and, um, you know, I thought that was one of the main reasons they brought me up there. And I would cringe, you know, when I'd see Andre go into the line and so forth, you know. But, uh, you know, it's uh, crazy, uh, crazy business. But the main thing is, you know, guys, don't they don't put the time in. I mean, free throw shooting, like, has not, like, evolved like it should. I mean, you look at it even in college and so forth. There's, I mean, there's no reason why pro teams – shouldn't shoot 80% every team in the NBA, you know, but nobody wants to go in. Nobody, it's not glamorous. I mean, it's, it's, it's not glamorous. And it's like, you know, I always say this to people. I said, you know, you know, everybody wants to do all these crazy drills. Like all these trainers are like juggling tennis balls and all of this stuff. You know, that's, that's not basketball. I said, but to do the simple things, I mean, I had a kid I was working with the other day. He's a senior in high school. He don't even have to do four different pivots. He knows how to do one pivot, but he's, you know, going through his legs 29 times. And, you know, <laughs> it's, it's uh, you know, and you're not going to do that. And that's what I tell these kids. I said, these trainers nowadays, these so-called trainers, they spend 98% of the time working on something you do less than 2% of the time. I mean, when, when does every kid go through his legs 72 times into a step back? There's like five guys in the NBA to do that. That's it. 
You know, you're going to be a role player. You got to learn to catch and shoot, son. Get, you know, get your shot with two dribbles. But everybody's got to do all this crazy stuff. You know, it's it's uh, you know, it's a simple game. It's like 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 uh, you know, Pete Newell said years ago. It's the most overcoached and undertaught game there is. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned in the past in interviews about focusing on the basics. I think that there was one story that you said where mm-hmm. Kobe Bryant in a workout at 4:30 a.m. Uh, when he was working yeah. out, he, he spent basically the entire time working on a jab step, mm-hmm. like a simple jab right. step. And Michael yep. Jordan, like after his practices, would go and shoot chest passes just to get yep. those basics right because he hadn't perfected that. Do, yep. do, do you still see that that, uh, that 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 area of the game is still undercoached and and the focus on basics still isn't there? And is that still true at the NBA level as well? Yeah, I mean, I I think you know, uh, you know, like you said you're talking two of the greatest players to ever play, you know, and that's why they're two of the greatest players to ever play because they never got tired of the basics and the fundamentals. They, they wanted to master them. And it's, you know, but most of the people are like, well, I don't need to do that. But in everything we do in this world, when things start to flounder in the, in the business world, what's the boss say? Let's go back to what? Basics. Basics. But what happened? Why do we get away from basics? Oh, I know how to do that. So now we, okay, well, let's skip the basics and let's go to something else. But now that you've skipped the basics, what happens now? The you foundation is on something there. else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Then, but then, okay, now you've got to rebuild the foundation because you've gotten away from it. You know, it's just like, but, but like you know, when I come in, I, you know, I'll go a great story years ago. And like I said, you, we learned from the players while well, working Derek Fisher out when he was playing for the Lakers. And we were at Loyola Marymount and he was stuck in traffic. You know, he could leave five hours early and still be laid out in LA as you know, with the traffic out there. So he's calling me. He's like, coach, coach, hop, I'm going to be late. I'm going to okay. So we went to the gym for an hour. When we get here, we'll get right into it because uh, volleyball was coming in. So we had like 40 minutes. So he gets in and I went right into, you know, right into shooting jump shots and everything. And he had a terrible workout because when I do individual workouts, I'd always chart also what the players did, you know, can't do it when I have three or four guys, but when I have one guy I would always, you know, chart, this is what you did, you know, today. And uh, I said, man, I said, D fish, man, you were horrible today. He goes, we didn't do any form shooting coach. So I said to myself, okay, even if it's for two minutes, we're going to get in front of that basket. We're going to do our one-hand form shooting. We're at our balance hand. You know, and that, and that, you know, you see the ball go in. It gives you a little bit of confidence going. Whereas we went out and started, you know, shooting 18-foot jump shots with no warm-up. And um, so I said to myself, even if it's for two minutes, we'll spend with one hand and two minutes with two. We're going to at least do some form shooting and stuff. But everyone wants to do you know, everybody wants to do the fancy stuff. It wants to be Steph Curry, James Harden, but not everyone's. They're they're anom- anomalies, you know. Like you know, you preach balance, uh, you preach form, uh, you know, you know, all all, the, all that fundamental stuff, and then you have guys like James Harden, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson come in, and. You know, arguably do less of that, but still be very successful. And you describe them as anomalies. But watching those kind of guys, has that altered or changed your view on how shooting should be coached or or, or the mechanics of shooting at all? No, not at all. I mean, like you know, you, you look at you look at like you know Clay Thompson. I mean, I tell you how efficient he is. I mean, you know, he scores his point. He took eleven dribbles the whole game. You know, 
I mean, James Harden, he's just, he's just a scorer, but I mean, what he does, I mean, you know, there's like, there's nobody else who does what he does. I mean, with, you know, 29 dribbles through his legs, step back with five steps before he shoots it. I mean, it's like, you know, anywhere else it'd be a travel and stuff, but, but I mean, he's a, he's a great scorer. I mean, gets the free throw line and everything. And he's figured out, you know, how to, you know, how to get the most of his ability. And then that's, that's, you know, Houston's philosophy is for him to, you know, dominate the basketball and stuff. I don't know how many people would like playing with somebody like that, but he's, he's a great player and he's, he's always been a great player, James Harden in high school and everything. So you, you say we're obsessed with motion. And as soon as you introduce motion, you decrease accuracy of your shot. When you see guys like Kyle Lowry, who are always like maybe, you know, opting for the lean in jumper feet, aren't always mm-hmm. necessarily set, but they're still having a lot of success. Right. Two, two questions. One, what do you mean by that obsessed with emotion? And how do you kind of consolidate that with, with guys who have a lot of motion, arguably, in their shot, but are successful? Well, what's your determination of successful? I mean, like, you know, is 40% successful? I mean, the more times you can do something the same way, you're going to be successful. I mean, you're, there's times where you're going to hit leaner shots, but how often do you shoot a leaner shot as opposed to, you know, uh, a regular jump shot with your feet underneath you? Like, they, that's why you go to free throw line. You know, people shoot better at the free throw line than they do, you know, shooting a ball off the bounce or being contested because there's more motion. There's more factors in it. And what I mean by motion, like I say, if you eliminate motion, you increase accuracy. The more moving parts you have, the more problems you have to break down. Like, you know, when you shoot the ball, you you know, you don't want tw- 28 motions. I mean, and like one of the things that all these guys do at night, and I've noticed is when they shoot the basketball, their, their left hand, which I call a balance hand, comes flying down. Now you got your right hand going towards the basket, and what do you do with your left hand? You're pulling it back. Now when you drop, everything's connected. So if I drop my left hand, do you think my right hand is going to stay straight when I drop it at a high rate of speed? I doubt it. No, it's going to turn. Your whole your whole body's going to turn. So you see people turn to, they'll turn to their left if they drop their left hand and so forth, you know. And like I said, you know, when they freeze their falter, you want to hold your hands high. And like, I was watching a tape of uh, Giannis shoot the other day with his big hands. His actual left hand, which I call a balance hand. Some coaches call it a guide hand. I said, well, what's the guide hand doing? The coach says it guides the ball into the hoop. I said, well, that guy should call it a misguide hand because it never goes in the hoop, you know? And then other coaches call it an off hand. That's a negative term. You don't want your shot to be off. Then other coaches call it a non-shooting hand. That's a negative term. Non-shooter, so I call it a balance hand because its job is to balance the ball and lift the ball, and it shouldn't be involved in the shot. But Giannis, when he shoots it, his balance hand is actually higher than his shooting hand. So what does that tell you? That means that's involved in the shot as he's going up. He is continually extending with his balance hand. Whereas you watch like, you know, shooters, like there's the old Oscar Robertson shot where the, his balance hand is actually off the basketball and his arms in a perfect L, you know, because all it's to do once I catch in my L, I lift the L. From there on, my balance hand's job is done. You know, and then you get some guys that twist it like Joaquin Noah, and the ball spins like a cyclone, like a tornado. 
Uh, it's hard to believe he shoots like that. His dad was a tennis pro. I can't believe it. So. You, you also mentioned uh, something about your the ball not actually touching the palm of your hand as you're shooting it, because yep. th- that actually affects the, 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 the direction of the shot. Right. You want the ball to rest on the finger pads and fingertips. I should see daylight on both, with both hands. My palm should never touch it. I should be able to stick two fingers underneath the front of the ball and, and my and my palm, mm-hmm. and my shooting hand, and also my balance hand. There should be daylight between the finger pads. Yeah. And, and, and the, the other myth that you sort of, so, sort of busted for me uh, a while back was um, when you're shooting, you aim for the middle of the hoop. You don't aim for the back yep. of the rim because sometimes coaches teach you aim for the back of the rim because you might be tired and you might be short. Yeah. Well, there's coaches that tell you the front of the rim. There's coaches that tell you to aim for the hooks. There's all kinds. And where do you want to put the ball? In the hoop. <laughs> hey, what part of the hoop? The swish. I want to get. A, I want to hear a swish. Yeah, in the middle. Exactly. And where's the middle of the hoop whenever you shoot the basketball? <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the middle of the hoop. In the middle of the hoop. Okay. <laughs> now, the front of the rim. You shoot from the corner. You can't see the front of the rim. So now what do you shoot for? The side of the rim. Same thing whether it's front or back, right? Then the same thing some people say to look at the hooks. Well, what hook do you look at? The middle hook. There's 12 hooks up there, I tell them. I, know I have five fingers. I know what the middle finger is. I said, so you're picking out three different hooks. you got a hand in your face. You're going to be able to pick the hook at. The scent, if, you, if you discipline yourself and you look up there and you look at that middle of the hoop, it's like, how do I ever miss? It's huge. And now if I aim for the middle, I could be long, short, off left, off right, or any combination of those shots and still have a chance to make it. The only time I would ever change my shot, my target, is if I shot a bank shot. And I always tell people this. Why do I make shots? I'm consistent. Consistency is the mark of greatness. So I'm not going to change my target from front to back to side to left to right. I want that hole, put it right in the middle. And all I got to do is put it somewhere in that middle. Guys, all the time. I'll do a thing with a guy. I'll watch him shoot for five minutes, and I'll I'll chart like where he shoots the ball, right? And I'll say to him, "Hey, you aim for the front of the rim, don't you?" He goes, "How'd you know that?" I said, "Well, you hit it seventy nine times. You're a great shooter. You got the wrong target." Yeah. And I say, and the thing is, the problem if you aim for the front of the rim, because my first coach in high school told me aim for the front of the rim. I, I hit the front of every damn time. Then if you shot short, you shot an air ball. Then when I got the varsity, finally made varsity, coach told me aim for the back of the rim. I aim for the back of the rim. Finally got to catch the ball out net for Hank Slider, who's one of the great teachers of shooting when I was a kid. And I got to catch the ball out of net for him. And I said, this is my dyke. I'm going to find out what he looks at. And he asked me the same question I just asked you. He said, son, where do you want to put the ball when you shoot it? I said, in the hoop. And he said, what part? I said, the middle, the center. He goes, exactly right. That way you can make mistakes and still make shots. Is is there are there some NBA players that you look at right now and uh, you look at oh man how does that shot even go in? Oh, there's quite a few of them. You know, I mean it's uh, I just wonder how to get to the level of where they're at with the way they shoot the basketball. But I mean, like I said, it's um, you know the game is is so the guys are so athletic and long now and so forth. But and like I said, everyone's just you know jacks up three. So like now, oh he's well, he's you know great game. Like the other day, I'm like, everyone was going crazy about ball ball. Mm-hmm. Oh, he had a great game. He had six. 
The guy didn't even shoot 50%. To me, to me, a great game's like the guy was 11 for 13 from the field. That's a great game to me. Not not 5 for 15. That ain't a great game. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we, we've just, like, you know, become, you know, accepting mediocrity and saying it's great. You know, it's it just uh, – but it's, it's society now. Everything's, uh, you know, everything, you know – one good thing that everyone's posting, it's like I get all these kids, you know, everything's, everyone's elite, right? Yeah. Everybody's elite. Well, I see an elite team lose by 80. So what does that make that other team over there? What are they, supersonic elite? You know, it's just like, and I get these, these parents telling me, oh, my kid's elite. And I'm like, where, in the neighborhood? <laughs> and then they're like, you know, oh, he's a rising, he's a rising 10th grader. I said, oh, so that means he's going to be a sophomore. You know, I just get him going because they think the kids are like, you know, the next, you know, LeBron James or something. We're just so uh, skewed with our view of of talent nowadays with these kids. And I mean, you know, in the league, I mean, the league is so young nowadays. I mean, it's and, you know, it hurts. I think it hurts the NBA product and it also hurts the college product. I mean, now these guys are like transferring 50 year seniors and all this stuff in college and kids are being re-recruited from the middle school, you know, the middle mid-majors to the, the, the major division ones. It's all, it's all crazy. The Raptors obviously are the defending champs. They, they, they lost Kawhi Leonard. Uh, their biggest threat in the East appears to be uh, the Bucks, followed by maybe the Heat, I, I probably believe, is, is, the, is, is their biggest challenge after the Bucks. How do you see the East shaping out a little bit? You know what? I've been thinking of this and been watching the scrimmages. I think anything's possible right now because it's just uncharted waters for everybody. I mean, there's there's no home court advantage. And, you know, I mean, you know, and I, I love Toronto. I love my time in Toronto. There's the great fans are up there. And I think it's going to be whoever whoever can adapt to this, this whole situation. I mean, you know, it's uh, – you know, there's no, no travel. I mean, you're, you're playing with no fans, you know, and, you know, uh, I think it's a lot of it's going to be like, you know, what team can energize one another, you know, the guys on the bench and starters, you know, can we energize? I mean, I think any, anything's liable to happen. Then, you know, you got the unknowns, you know, what if, what if somebody goes out, you know, pulls a Lou Williams during the season and stuff, you know, it's just, you got to get guys that are, connected on the same page, you know, and um, willing to do what you have to do during this time. I mean, to be cooped up for all this time. As a matter of fact, you know, uh, you guys were down, Toronto was down earlier. Actually, they were right down the street from where I'm at in Naples. Uh, they were practicing over at Florida Gulf Coast and everything before, you know, heading to the bubble and stuff. So, I mean, um, you know, it's, it's going to be tough for whoever does it. And I just think it's, uh, you know, Whoever wins it, they should get an asterisk this year for being the, the toughest winner, you know, to ever win, you know, with the things going through this. I mean, oh, wow. imagine being away for the whole time. I mean, I, I think this will be the, whoever wins it. This is going to be the toughest one, I think. So it's, it's it's a good asterisk. It's a bolded asterisk. It's more than it a... Should be, yeah, yeah it, should, it should be, it, it should be, you know, yeah, they should sing the praises of whoever wins this year, I think. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, because because you know, you you it's it's going to be it's going to be such a mental grind for you. I mean, you're stuck in a hotel room. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you can't go you can't go anywhere. I mean, 
Alvin Williams, a former Raptor, gave an interview a couple of days yep, back. I know and they, Alvin. Yeah, and they and they asked him this exact same question, and his response was uh, very surprising. He said uh, he his response wasn't about basketball at all. It was more about who is more mentally ready or mentally comfortable, or right. or, or is are they it. yeah yeah because it's like you got you got to stay like you know you got to be like okay we don't. And the thing is, it's it's not the, just the because you're done with the basketball. Now, what do you do the rest of the time? I mean, you're you're, you're done after your, your game of basketball. What are you doing with the rest of your day? And you can't go anywhere. You know, it's it's you know, and I said, you know, this whole thing with Lou Williams, it's just a matter of time before somebody else screws up. I'm telling you that right now. I mean, because a lot of guys aren't mentally tough and and you see a lot of great players that have come through the league that were great talents but mentally they couldn't you know couldn't deal with the structure and you know they're out of the league in a ma- in a matter of you know a couple of years or whatever because they're not mentally tough and that's why you know people talk about you know the great ones Michael Jordan you know mentally tough you know Kobe Bryant mentally tough and that's that's what's going to come down to guys that are like you know you know mentally tough it's not physical toughness it's going to be mental toughness i agree with what alvin said on that it's going to be really difficult and, and do you have do you have any players that you know you work with you know hundreds of players are there any ones that stuck out for 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 any particular reason uh, someone you really enjoyed working with you you mentioned a uh, meta world piece ron artest being uh being an interesting character and you, you told that story are, are, yeah. are there any other ones mm-hmm. that uh that you're like, you know, man, that, that that was a good workout because maybe the person listened a lot, or maybe they had some quirks and yeah. any, anything like that. Well, there, there's been there's been a number of mine. I like said I've been doing this stuff now for you know over 30 years and stuff, but uh, I always say, you know, uh, you know, Kobe was a, a double-edged sword. He was a blessing and a curse working with him, and. Uh, I was working for Arn Tellum, who was Kobe's agent at the time. And Kobe, you know, was just coming out of high school and stuff. And, and uh, you know, he just worked so hard and he listened. And, I mean, he looked you right in the eye when you were teaching him. And, you know, he was a great talent. I, I didn't think he was ready for, you know, the NBA's first year. And he struggled his first year. I mean, he shot four air balls in the thing, but just think of how tough mentally is. How many people would shoot four air balls and come back and perform like he did? I mean, think of Nick Anderson when he missed those four free throws. Never was the same player, but Kobe was you know, just so mentally tough. And one of the things, I'll never forget after the first workout, we were working out of Cal State Northridge, and I'm with Arn Thomas, with David and Dana Pump, we're big basketball guys back on the West Coast. And, uh, we're going to go uh, to Boston market. Kobe wanted to go to Boston market after we worked out and he had street and Smith's basketball yearbook, right? Now he's 17, just out of high school. And he's going through Atlanta. He's going down the roster. Oh, I'm better than him. Two years from now, I'll kill this guy. Oh, I'll destroy this guy right now. Boom. Boston. He had like a hit list. I'm saying this kid's 17 and he's like, just he's just it was at another level and just paid attention to detail and he looked at you and he I coach tell me what I got to do I want to be the greatest player to ever play and like you don't get people like that most kids now when you're trying to teach them they take it like you're attacking their game like you're trying to correct them yeah yeah all right coach and they're walking away with their head down very few kids nowadays like look you in the eye when you're trying to teach them and correct them 
they like look at it like you're attacking their game. Like, oh, I can't do this. I can't do that. Instead of like embracing coaching, you know, and the great ones want to be coached. Yeah. You mentioned uh, one of your favorite players being uh, Gilbert Arenas, who was uh, a phenomenal yeah. point guard for for the Washington Wizards. Yeah. Wizards. An- another guy I will I will posit as being equally pretty damn good in, in his day and age. Another Wizards point guard, Rod Strickland, uh, who yeah. was who yeah. was very very good. Um, yeah, talk to, you, you spent some time with the Wizards, uh, some extended time there. What were your impressions of some of the players you saw? Because those Wizards had a had a talented, talented roster in those days. Yes, I was there. Uh, unfortunately, I was there. Gilbert was hurt uh, when I was down there for most of his career. When I was there, uh, we had we had Karan Butler and Antoine Jameson, who were both all stars. My first year there, and then um, we had some interesting characters. We drafted uh, Swaggy P. He was Nick Young back then, but I don't know when he became Swaggy P. But he wasn't Swaggy anything back then. He's a great kid, uh, character. And then we the next year we drafted Javel McGee. So, <laughs> but he, he, how yeah. did that go? Oh, uh, we well, like I said, we had an interesting crew, and I'll never forget uh, when I was over with uh, Gordy Chase, uh, Gordy who coached with. Jerry Sloan for a number of years. And when we were on this tour together, he said to me that, uh, he said, Dave, you have a very dysfunctional team. He said, uh, but, uh, we, we had, like I said, Gilbert, like I said, he was hurt most of the time. I was in the two years I was in, um, in Washington and everything. But, uh, we had, like I said, we had Brendan Haywood, uh, we had oh, we had another character too. We had Andre Blotch. That's so, right. So uh, he's now playing over in uh, he's playing over in China uh, right now. And I'll forget he when he went to uh, he was with the Brooklyn Nets for a little bit, and I and he's playing for the Filipino national team. Now he's not Filipino any more than I am, right? So I said he was on the bench, and it was you know before the game, you know, we're working that guys out. And I said, Hey, Andre, I said, you're on the Filipino national team. He says, yeah. I said, you can't even spell Filipino. He goes, yes, I can. It's P H. I says, not Filipino. I said, you're spelling the Philippines. I said, I told you. you're not. <laughs> so I mean, just, but we had, uh, we had some, we had some really, uh, solid pros. though too. We had Antonio Daniels. Who's a great guy. He does a great job on NBA radio. And it's funny, a lot of uh, the players we had are now doing, uh, like, Karan's with ESPN, and Antoine's, like, I think, play-by-play now with uh, with the Wizards. Scary, scary so, team. Uh, yeah, that, that, that was a yeah, scary roster yeah. at the time. Yeah. But I tell you, uh, when I was in Toronto, because I was in Toronto before I went to uh, Washington, and I would have never have left Toronto, but my wife, she couldn't work at, out of Canada and everything, you know, with her job. She's a national account manager, but I went to Toronto uh, from Toronto to Washington, but the year I was in Toronto, I mean, that was when Gilbert was healthy. I mean, they, they had, they had, they could put some points on the board, you know, they had him, they had, you know, Karan and Antoine, and then they, they used to have Larry Hughes. They were, they were, they had a tough team back then. Mm. Any, any Toronto stories, any Toronto player stories that, uh, that, 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 that stick out in your, in your long career? Uh, yeah, Toronto, like I said, was my, my, uh, first, you know, full-time gig in the NBA. And, uh, you know, we had, uh, we had some, uh, we had some interesting characters on, on our team up there, uh, my rookie year, 
my rookie year in the league, we had uh, Euro Slowcar, who was uh, a big left-hander from Russia. We had Pop Sal. P.J. Tucker was with us, right. actually, at the time. Right. P.J. was you know, bouncing back and forth between uh, the D-League and everything. And uh, we had Ross on the stereo, the two. He was a character. But the thing, the great thing about the Toronto team, I mean, we were we were fun to watch because we shared the basketball and everyone got together. We got along so well, and it was be like we'd be out as dinner as a coaching staff, you know. And then you know, how teams all have clicks. We didn't have any clicks. We had everybody like you could never tell who was going to be together, and like you would figure, okay, T.J. Ford and Chris Bosh, both African Americans, both from Texas. Both our highest play players. You figured they'd be hanging out all the time. We'd be out to eat. All of a sudden, TJ Ford would be walking in with Rasha Nesterovich. Like, what do they have in common, right? The next time we're somewhere, there's TJ Ford and Jose Calderon walking out together. The guys all intermingled. It wasn't like you and me hang out every road trip. You know, it was, and it showed on the court. I mean, your chemistry shows on the court. I mean, we had... We had possessions where I swear to God, we had eight or nine passes before somebody got a wide open shot. It was just it was such fun to watch when the games played the right way, you know. You did play in Ireland. You played in Belfast because uh, you went yeah. overseas uh, in 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 the eighties. What what did you notice about the contrast in uh, just culture, maybe of the teams in 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 the Irish league versus what you're experiencing in the NBA, like? Talk to me about some of the some of the contrasts that you encountered. Well, the, the travel. I mean, we would get we you know we would get a, in a, a couple cars and you know travel down. We didn't have a you know a, a bus or a coach or whatever they called it over there. We yeah, just getting busy. Almost be like playing in an unlimited lake here in the states or in Canada. You know, okay, we're going to meet at such and such a time, and you got three or four cars and you piled in and you headed down to play. Um, and I know when I first got over there and we lost, you know, I'd be so mad and disappointed that we lost cause I hated losing. And like, you know, say we were in Dublin and after playing, you know, the guys would all get together and they'd go to the, you know, the, uh, you know, one of the, uh, teams, you know, local pubs or, or club, and, uh, they would drink a few pints after the game. And I'd be like, I'm not going, I'm pissed off. And I used to sit out in the, yeah, out in the car, and I'm then finally after like the third time, I said, "What am I doing sitting in the car? I'm sitting here like a damn fool." Everyone else is there. I said, "I played the best I could," so I came up with the saying, "Win or lose, we booze." You know, it was like you know, you you, you went out and and but the thing is, you know, a lot of the players back then, like you know, my my teammate was Boo Williams, who runs a huge AAU program down in Norfolk, Virginia area, Hampton News. He. Um, was my teammate. And, uh, the thing is like, you know, you had your Americans and Americans all hung out together and, you know, it's good, you know, talking to them after games and everything. But, uh, you know, it was, uh, different. We got paid and then the other players, you know, they, they weren't professional. They might get a few dollars here and there, but they worked regular jobs and, and like, you know, for them to go out on a weekend, that was a big thing for them after the game to have a few drinks, you know, you know, like they they made sacrifices the whole week to do training and everything. So, and then the practice facilities always was, uh, you know, the, the arenas weren't nowhere near what you play in and stuff. I mean, some of the gyms were so cold over there. And, 
And uh, but like I said, it's it's, uh, it's a journey. It's basketball, you know. Yeah, I'm I'm a big soccer fan as well, so I follow a lot of uh, European uh, football or soccer. And uh, okay, in, yeah. in, in the 80s and 90s, uh, and even in the 2000s, just to, to a fair degree, there was a big drinking culture in that part of the world. Where if, you mentioned drinking oh, yeah. after the game, people used to be, walk yeah. into the game uh, yeah. buzzed. Well, I I played. I'll tell you, I played in a tournament one year over in Germany. I went over as a guest player, you know, like uh, when the like the Irish national team like toured like uh, North uh, was it the Northeast Conference? They would go like around Thanksgiving, so there would be no national league game. So I went over and played a, as a guest player in Germany, and I'm in the locker room at halftime, and they're drinking beer. And smoking cigarettes, and I'm like, holy cow! <laughs> I'm like, they're like, do you want one? I'm like, hell no! I mean, but it's a, like I said, it's different, different culture and stuff. I mean, you know, we used to call um, Garbajosa the Marlboro Man, you know, because he used to like to smoke those cigarettes and stuff. But it wasn't, you know, not like you know here in the, uh, you know, like back in the old days, guys used to smoke in a locker room at halftime and stuff, you know. Oh, oh Jorge Garbajosa. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. he, he had a horrific leg injury. Horrific. Yeah, yeah, it was that was that was devastating. Yeah. I was with the team then when that happened. I think if he wouldn't have got hurt, we would have beat the Nets. I really believe that he was some player. He knew how to play. I uh, I, I traveled for that series uh, to New Jersey uh, with twelve other people. Mm-hmm. We crossed the border at night and we went over and we we saw games. Uh, well, well, Boki Nakbar. Boki Nakbar killed us in that series yeah, as well, yeah. if you remember that. Yeah, that was yeah. a painful one. Yeah. So, so Dave, what are, you, what are you doing these days? Right right now, with during this whole coronavirus thing, I'm down in uh, beautiful Naples, Florida. I actually have uh, one of the reasons I moved down here is I have my own gym, so I haven't missed any workouts or anything or working with players during the pandemic because it's a private gym. It's actually at my best friend's home in his house. Uh so I've been very fortunate and blessed. I'm the only person that uses it and whoever I work with. So um, very blessed to have that. And um, otherwise, you know, I was just saying to my wife last night, I said, you know, right now I should be in Phoenix, Arizona doing some camps. And then I'd, from Phoenix, I'd be going out to over to UCLA and spending a week at camps in California and then heading down to San Diego. But with this whole uh, pandemic going on and speaking any camps this summer but i've continued to maintain uh workouts just with local players i had some people coming down uh before it got crazy i mean the coronavirus is off the charts right now here in florida so like nobody's coming down here for right now because our numbers have been like spiking upwards and uh but um you know once it clears up you know and now with the whole schedule change i mean it'll be crazy i'll have uh some agents will be reaching out to me to get guys to work out you know before whenever the pre-draft camps will be when they bring them in i don't know how how that's gonna be and i don't think anybody nobody's really been talking about when that when that's gonna happen you know with with the draft picks and so forth and and it's just interesting how that's gonna work the guys haven't been able to bring them in to work them out and stuff so I think we all have a player that we always emulate and go, oh man, that's a that's a pretty pretty jumper. For me, it was mm-hmm. Allen Houston uh, of the Detroit Pistons, yeah, and I was, uh, I was with Allen in, with the Knicks. Allen had a beautiful shot, yeah. great guy too. Yeah, are there any ones that you look at NBA players or even non NBA players and go, that that's how I want to shoot? Uh, guys, that, like you know, uh, 
like that I, I really like looked at back in the day, like, you know, when I was a kid growing up was, you know, Jerry West. I mean, Jerry West had a beautiful jump shot. And then uh, as I, I got, you know, playing and everything, I mean, I, I looked at, uh, you know, Brian Winters, Mark Price, you know, those guys had really nice uh, form on their shot. I mean, then you get into, uh, you know, like I said, nowadays, you know, uh, Clay Thompson and so forth, J.J. Redick. Rick Barry had a beautiful jump shot. And, and, and finally, uh, make a call. Uh, pick pick an East winner, a West winner, and a Finals winner. Oh, okay. Jeez, uh, I guess I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. <clears throat> I guess mm, I don't. Hey, this is a tough one. Like I said, I don't really know what's going to happen, but. Hmm. I'd like to see the Raptors repeat, to be honest with you. So I was so happy when they did win it because of my time up there. But I guess I'd have to go just like with the experts picking the Bucks, <clears throat> And then I'm going to go with the Clippers in the West. And then I guess the winners, I'm going to pick the Clippers. That's uh, that's my that's my pick here. Okay. Awesome, Dave. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. It's been wonderful. Uh, good luck in your in, in your coaching camps when they do resume. Uh, you know, it's it, it's phenomenal following your career. Uh, listener, go to YouTube, search for Dave Hoppa. There's a ton of good information out there. I, I know that uh, I looked at your videos a few times, and it definitely helped my shot a little bit. The, the biggest tip that you gave me was uh, was about you know the, the the shot window of making sure that you can uh, actually see yeah. the see the ball as you yeah. go through it because your elbows might block it, and that that, that actually made up. Mm-hmm. Made a, you know, it took me from being like a twenty-one percent shooter to like a thirty-one percent shooter. So I mean, <laughs> credit you to you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, thank you so much for having me on, and uh, I send my love up north there to everybody, and uh, go Raptors. Mm-hmm.